Hi, this is Marion Nessel. I'm the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University, and a longtime fan of Heritage Radio. Like Marion, you too can support Heritage Radio Network, a member-based nonprofit radio station operating out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've been on it countless times. I love being interviewed. The interviewers are always really well prepared and fun to talk to about the issues that matter to me the most, uh, about how we can change our food system to one that's healthier for people and the environment. It's just invaluable to have an independent radio station that's dealing with these issues. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful asset. Support Heritage Radio Network by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Open Table is a proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. For more information, visit their blog, Open for Business, at openforbusiness.opentable.com. Hi, this is Katie Kiefer from What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Well, hello and welcome to Chef's Story. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton, and today we're broadcasting from the International Culinary Center. And my guest is none other than Tom Douglas from Seattle, the legendary uh, restaurateur who won multiple, uh, who's won multiple uh, Beard Awards, including Outstanding Restaurateur. That means it put him and his restaurants and his team above everyone else in the country. And um, he, I think he's here to promote some of his, one of his four cookbooks. Just my entire life. Your entire life. And uh, you have 13 restaurants. Well, to be for full disclosure, because I like telling you know, my, my fans out there when I screw up. And we've just had the most wonderful conversation for about a half hour where we thought we were recording it. <laughs> and um, I, didn't, I saw the recording was not on. So, Tom, we're going to do this again. All and right. I think we'll do it better the second time. Um, anyway, welcome. Yeah, and don't call me one take Tom for nothing, you know. Yeah. So now let me, I'll, I'll recall. Uh, so you grew up in Delaware and you actually chose to go to Catholic schools. I did. Well, my parents <laughs> wouldn't pay because I wasn't, uh, I was smart enough, but I just didn't work hard enough to get the grades. And so they were frustrated with me and they just said, uh, you're, we're, we're not doing this. You're out. And I said, well, we are doing this, and I'm, I'll pay for it myself. And so that's what I did. I paid my way through Catholic high school, and I needed to be with my buddies, you know, uh, that I had gone to grade school with, and, and uh, here any, I am. Any food uh, jobs when you were that age? Uh, well, when I was 16, I worked in a liquor store, which is actually food, and I think partly why I uh, got into food in itself. But... Um, I would say my biggest food job at that time was just eating cheesesteaks and bad pepperoni pizza at Mr. Pizza. Was your mother a good cook? My my favorite stop for food in my life was the post house on Main Street, which is where I'd go after delivering papers. Um, I had the morning route and the afternoon route. And then 
on Sunday, we had the big, thick newspaper, right? And I would be out for a long time, and I would kind of fib to my parents that, I, yes, I did go to church, but instead I would go to the post house. And at the post house, the waiters cooked your food, and it was just a counter. And the, the waiters, uh, Jan was her name, and uh, she just retired recently after 60 years at the post house. Uh, matter of fact, as a retirement present, I sent her a, a two tickets to Seattle and place to stay and oh. everything. And she's never used it because oh. her husband's sick. Oh. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, that's where, kind of where I got the bug, I think, is at the post house. At the way post back house. On. When you were making all this you money. You think Jesus is mad at me for not going to church? You're a Catholic girl. I, I'm a, a Catholic girl. As as uh, my mother used to ask me, what mass did you go to? And I'd say, nine. And then I'd, <laughs> under my breath, in German. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's ask Pope Francis. Right. right. I All like right. his answers. I like Pope. I like Francis. I, isn't he nice? Yeah. Finally, we got a good one. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm not, believe me, I'm an atheist all through and through at this point. So. But how can you not love that man? Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's just no, a good person. He's, he's a good person. Okay, so. Uh, when you had all that money rolling in it in high school, mm-hmm. did you have to spend all of it uh, for your tuition? Oh no, no, no! I was—I always liked to have water cash, and so I. What would you do on, with your water cash? Oh, everything! I, you know, I used to run uh, Boone's Farm Wine. I used to—I I was always a big guy, so I could get served as a youngster, and so I would buy cases of Boone's Farm, and then I would double the price and sell it to my friends um, that couldn't. Did you smoke cigarettes? I did. Yeah, I drank lots of Schlitz beer. Uh-huh. And, uh, Any Matus? A lot of Matus, but that was a little bit later. Oh, okay. Wasn't much of a wine guy early on, but... Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I also know from our previous conversation that you got in a car and you... St- at, at 18, 19? I was 18, turned 19 on the road. I, I had bought an old Chevy station wagon from my dad. It was his company car, white with a sky blue interior, Buick Skylark. No, Love you, it. Uh, uh, Chevy Bel Air, pardon me. Love it. And uh, put everything I owned in it. Uh, on my way out the door, my dad gave me 150 bucks, which he did for all of his kids. I'm one of eight. And I had saved 300 of my own, and so I had some cash. And I started driving around the country, and um, I ran $450. out $450. Of- this is in 1977. Okay. Yeah, so... What was gas at that time? What, 30 cents a gallon or well, 50 did, cents a gallon? Didn't it spike in, in the late 70s? Oh, okay, we're not going to read this. Well, we had lots of, uh, you know, the interest rate spiked right. 21% right. in the right. late 79, 80. Uh, so I ran out of money in Seattle, got a job cooking. I had cooked at the Hotel DuPont in Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, so I had some skills. Uh, got a job cooking and... So what, what, was, what was sort of the fun in your life when you first started, first living in Seattle? Was it the cooking or was it the lifestyle? Because it was not Microsoft land out there. Nope, it was Boeing, a Boeing or Bust. Boeing or Bust at the time. You know, that market was way up and down with that yeah. company. Um, but uh, the lifestyle for me was just kind of seeing the world for the first time on my own. Uh-huh. You know, moving out of the house and uh, coming down to my last pennies, uh, literally. Uh, living in the basement of a house with you know six roomies that I'd never met before I saw them in the newspaper right or um, you know things like that you know just experiencing life for the first time and then I, I fell in with some friends in the restaurant business who loved to dine out so every extra penny we had 
uh, we spent on dining out, both in uh, Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver, British Columbia. So when did you move on up from Schlitz to a better... Uh, about then. I'm still not a beer head. I, mm-hmm. I don't love beer. Beer was just to get drunk when I was in high school. Uh-huh. Uh, but now, you know, when I drink, I want to taste something delicious. Yeah. That's why I have 2,000 bottles of Nebbiolo in my cellar at home, <laughs> worth about a quarter million dollars. Wow. <laughs> All the way back to the 40s. Wow. So mm-hmm. when do you pull out one of those bottles? Oh, for a birthday, for friends. or You know, they're meant to be drunk. It's not something that... Uh, uh, they're, they're not getting any better. The old ones are not getting any better. They're just getting a little bit more sentimental. And, uh, you know, frankly, I don't have time for that. So Were you, were like you a big them. Jim Harrison fan? I wasn't. Really? I'm not a book reader. No. Oh, my gosh. I would not have, a I would have predicted that. No. He okay. just passed. He just and did. And quite the foodie. Quite the foodie and quite the... Uh, so are you an outdoors person? Because back in... I remember in the 70s, Seattle... First of all, everybody hated urban... You know, New York was drop-dead city. Mm-hmm. And um, wh- so, and it was uh, very into nature out there. Were you? Still is. It, no, never have been. Never been an outdoors person. I ski. Um, I like to go to ball games. But I'm a wine drinker and I'm a diner. I eat out a lot. And still do to this day. You know, I'll do 15 restaurants while I'm here for three days and just check the scene, this and that. Uh, you know, there's always a new idea. I have 20-some food businesses, and there's always an idea floating around. So I'll go check something that is similar in nature. Like I've been wanting to do a hummus bar, and Michael um, Solomonoff from Philadelphia just opened up his little kind of Israeli. And somebody said it was a hummus bar, and I went and looked. It's not a hummus bar. Uh Hummus, as, as, as he likes to say, uh, but uh, it's more of a fresh pita. You know, it's coming out of the oven, and they serve hummus, of course. But um, it is—it's uh, just not what I was expecting it to be. So, when you when you were out there, um, the story has it that uh, you were cooking and you needed four thousand dollars, and someone want, said you were the best cook around. And tell <laughs> well, us that around. story. Not around, but uh, when I was nineteen, I had moved on from you know my first restaurant job out there, and uh, um, you know my first interview. If you're a young chef listening, my first interview literally was. Kind of the the classic. The guy says, "Make me an omelet." And of course, I was at the Hotel Dupont in Wilmington. That we had a Swiss chef, and you stirred the omelet a lot, and then you put it up under the salamander with some cheese, and you laid it out onto a plate, and that was a, that was our omelet at the Hotel Dupont. And so I made him one of those, and he just looked at me with disgust. <laughs> and he had a big hairy chest and long, flowing brown hair, and a big gold chain on his in his hairy chest, and shirt cut down to his navel and he just said to me you'll never cook in this town <laughs> and it was just like oh i'm in trouble now <laughs> and so i went to the next place and got a job or you know just just like that but uh where was i going with that uh, but that uh, you ever that, see that guy anymore <laughs> no no but anyway i was working at this restaurant that was an open kitchen right and so you could sit at the counter right and i was a saute cook uh, which is very big in seattle west coast was saute houses where you do lots of things with flame and everyone ooze and ahs and uh, really just make crappy food. Um, but you're, we were super busy. You know, that was the time of cocaine, and everyone came out uh, for Coke and a bottle of wine after after the bars would close, you know. Uh, and so uh, this guy, his, his girlfriend was a waitress there, and he was looking for a, a, a chef. And um, I had been in this car wreck. I didn't have insurance. I, owed, I was 19. I was thinking I might have to go back home to my family, you know, blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, 
I had asked the owner of the restaurant. I said, listen, I'm in, I, I need some money here. Would you consider loaning me four grand? He said no. And so this guy sat at the counter literally the next day in a, in a skull cap beanie, like a rainbow skull cap, and a, and a soul patch under his lips. And uh, he was a Jewish guy from Queens, New York. Uh, had driven taxi out here and was a restaurant Just like manager Donald out there. Trump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I said, he said, my, my girlfriend says you're the best cook around here. Uh, I need a chef. Uh, would you consider coming to work for us? So I said, well, if you told him my story, if you give me $4,000, I'll come work for you until I pay it off. And uh, he came back the next day with a check for four grand. Um, and he, threw in he became kind of my mentor. Uh, so was where was the restaurant? years older. It was on a... a a little island called Bainbridge Island, which is just across the bay mm-hmm. from Seattle. So a 30-minute ferry ride. And did he let you do whatever you wanted in the no, restaurant? No, no, no. Uh, his restaurant was failing, so he, he begged me to do anything I could do to help. Um, it wasn't his. He was a general manager, but he was really trying to turn it around, and we did turn it around. You did? Yeah. Okay. And what was your first menu? Uh, well, we just used the menu that was there, but the chef before us was inept, uh, you know, they were doing, you know, they had 150 items on the menu, and they were doing 20 covers a night. Like, can you imagine the amount of rotting food that we found in the walk-in refrigerator and in the drawers? of the? Oh, it's just horrible. Yeah. So, you know, once we just threw everything away and started from scratch and, and worked with the business that we had right. uh, and then started building from there, we were profitable right away. And, um, so when did, up, you, when did you branch out on your own? Uh, I was 89. Oh, so you were there over 10 years. No, no, no. I moved around after that. Uh-huh. I built houses. I worked in... Oh, so you didn't even stay in culinary. Uh, I did. I, yeah, I always did. I always had two jobs. I always was a cook. But for a while, I built houses. For a while, I sold wine for like on a wholesale basis. And Were you doing that? Were you married at that time? No. So were you doing that because you're a workaholic? Or are you doing that because you like money? Or I like money. I like walking around with a wad of cash. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, I didn't have a cash there for a while. I paid everything I had to pay to pay back my, my yeah, debt to this guy. Sure. And so uh, I literally, uh, I know this sounds like a bad story, but it's true. I literally uh, thumbed, hitchhiked my way to work every day, six miles, and my way home, six miles every day. On the island? On the island. And in the beginning, it was rough because I just walked, basically, because mm. it was, nobody knew me. I was a big guy, you know, big, hairy guy. and. Was the seafood out there as pristine as it is now? It's better now. I, I would think it's better. It's, uh, mainly yeah. because we recognize now, right? Right. What it is that we have. Right. When I used to walk through the market in my chef coat uh, when I was working downtown, I, they used to, you know, the fishmongers used to whistle at us, you know, just making fun <laughs> of us for being in uniform, right? Uh, they didn't know what they had. Right. And nobody really knew what they had until a couple of really smart guys figured out how to best handle. The fish. The fish, right? Yes. How to best handle the crab. And then all of a sudden, the quality was way Would better. they, in those days, sell fish for longer? Would the fish be three days old? Oh, four sure. days old? Right. Weeks and old. Where today... Yeah, you run your know. finger across a fillet of fish at the old Pike Place Market, and the fish would come off on your finger, you know? That's, that's such an easy test of how old the fish is. I, I haven't heard that one. That's, that's, yeah. that's a good one. Um, so, uh, when... So in 89, you what was your first restaurant? Uh, my first restaurant was called the Dahlia Lounge. It's still open 26 and a half years later. Uh, How'd you come up with the name? Uh, this is a, another weird story, but my friend uh, who was, we'll call him the 
nobody's going to hear this in Seattle, right? He was the deputy mayor of Seattle, and <laughs> he was having an affair. And the name of the room at the Westin Hotel that he would he would say, "Meet me at the Dahlia Lounge," and it was this particular room at the Westin Hotel. And his girlfriend, and uh, that's how the name came about. Ah, and I'm still yeah. friends with him today, too. That's good. Well, that's um, that's a good lounge. Mm-hmm. That's uh, so. So anyway, what was the menu like? Uh, it's still similar, although um, you know I'm a I'm not someone to live in the past. I like change, and so it was uh, at the time uh, we had a Chinese barbecue section along with. Um, that sounds like the Dolly Lounge. I know. It's just, it was, we always had this kind of Asian influence, but it was more of at the time of global cuisine with mm-hmm. local ingredients. Mm-hmm. Who were you looking up to culinarily-wise? Well, certainly Alice Waters and uh, Jeremiah Tower. Mm. Mark Miller was Mark part Miller, of my peer yeah. group. And, yeah. you know, I, I, go, I go pretty far back. I can remember doing a regional... AI, IWF. Uh, AIWF or something like that in Santa Fe. And I had to give, like, what's going on in my region? You have to stand up in front of, there were 1,500 or 2,000 people. And and uh, I would stand up. And then this guy named Emeril was there from New Orleans. And he was supposed to stand up, but he was too shy. No. He wouldn't stand up in front of the crowd. He sat there at the table, hardly even spoke into the microphone, and just kind of did what he had to do from Commander's Palace. And that was that. It was unbelievable the change in that man. I remember going out there with Julia Child. Do you remember the AIWF I've had in Julia Seattle? In my restaurant many in times. Se- yes, yeah. in mm-hmm. Seattle. My favorite Julia story. We were serving dinner, and and um, I actually took time to sit down with her, and, and Paul was sitting next to her, and and uh, you know just that all of a sudden you hear a noise, and you're kind of looking around, and you realize that Paul is asleep, snoring at the table <laughs> amongst the twenty of us, right? And um, she kind of looks around and just looks at his plate and says, let's not wake him. And then she just started eating his, his dinner off his plate. You know what? I went to dinner with them here in New York, mm-hmm. and I sat next to Paul, and she was on the other side of the table, and there were eight of us. It was a round table, mm-hmm. and he fell asleep. Mm-hmm. And she said, Dorothy, kick Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I didn't know them that well then. Yeah. She goes, kick Paul. And so I was sort of gently kicking. She goes, no, I mean kick Paul. Yeah. And I like, boom. And he woke up. He woke up. <laughs> she, she was a good woman. Yeah, she was a great woman. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Open Table is a proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Open Table is home to the world's largest dining network, seating over 17 million diners every month. Their technology solutions help restaurants run and grow their businesses. That means providing memorable hospitality to every guest, streamlining front-of-house operations, and optimizing seating to seat more diners and drive more business. Chefs, restaurateurs, and other industry professionals can find more tips and best practices for running a successful restaurant on their blog, Open for Business, at openforbusiness.opentable.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Chef Story, and today my guest is Tom Douglas from uh, Seattle, Washington. And so how did the empire start growing? I mean, 13 restaurants right now, and... I, you know, we're going to get into why 13 and do sleep. 
It really depends on what you consider a restaurant, you know, because some people would say I have, I have 20 restaurants. But uh, I have a, a varied interest in restaurants. I'm a, I like all sorts of kinds of foods, and so uh, I am not one to um, let that get in the way, the fact that, I, that I'm not Chinese or that I'm not Japanese or Italian. I, I still have no problem kind of faking it uh, and enjoy cooking in those styles. Barbara Tropp one time gave me a hard time for loving to eat Chinese food. You remember Barbara Tropp? Oh, I yeah. knew her so well. Feisty yeah. little thing. Yeah. Uh, and having never been to China, I shouldn't ever attempt to cook Chinese food. Oh. And she was such a purist. Yes, she was. Um, she was. At the end, I was giving her, she was on book tour, and I, I had my Chevy Tahoe, and I was giving her a ride around town, and I had to literally lift her by the butt to try and get her into my car. You know, she was bald from chemo, and, uh, but she was still out on the road promoting and uh, yeah. doing the things that she did best. Still love of, China Moon. Yes. Is it? Well, China Moon's still there? No, but the book no. is still. Oh, the book, In yeah. print. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so you make it sound like, oh, well, I like a lot of food, you know, different kinds of food, so I'll open a restaurant here, a restaurant there. Each of these restaurants have people working in them, mm-hmm. need attention. Uh, you know, just to run one restaurant takes a lot of, it can't ju- you can't just delegate running a restaurant. And it has to have a personality. So you have multiple restaurants. Which means I have multiple personalities. <laughs> you know, I'm beginning to believe that. <laughs> but how do you inspire the staff at all of those? How, you know, do you have to have someone good, a, a great sous chef or executive chef that you say, okay, now go open this one? Do you, do, are they, I don't really think about it that way. Are they partners in the restaurant no. so they feel like they own it? I have no partners. Uh, I have a... No financial partners and no banks. We don't open a restaurant until we can pay for it. Um, so uh, I have a business partner, uh, Eric Tanaka, who's been with me now for 20 years or so. Former chef of Michael's up on oh, 55th. Really? Year, oh. Yeah, years ago. Uh, but I just open them when I feel like it. You know, when I see a good space. I'm, I'm a bit of a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the bet. You know, when I think about restaurants, um, I think... Wow, there's location. Mm-hmm. I've got a chef at, say, Serious Pie who's ready to move. Uh, I think he'd be really good at this. I've got uh, the right rent negotiated, which is such a small percentage. So many people get hung up on rent. It's such a small. Maybe here it's different, but in Seattle, you know, your food cost and your labor cost is so much higher than your rent. So I've got uh, I've got the location, got the right menu. I think I've matched up the chef correctly. Uh, I've got a GM that, you know, loves that chef who's going to work well together with them. And uh, I have a look and feel because we have our own construction company. We, so we design and build our own restaurants. And uh, so it's um, now I've, I've got my hand, my, my cards, right? I've dealt myself a hand. Now it's a matter of uh, do I want to put my money on it? Do I want to bet that this is a good idea with all these pieces? What part of the process do you like the best? The whole thing. At the end of the month... Did we or did we not make money? I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, right? Because you, you cannot stay in business without making, uh, making some uh, profit. Yeah. So what's your philosophy on um, paying the dishwashers? <laughs> There's a reach. Uh, well, you know. No, well, uh, that's, that's fundamental to the yeah, Well, certainly. And it's fundamental to making money. You know, I have a philosophy, a philosophy on sustainability, and um, as you know, we've talked that sustainability is looked at generally in our industry uh, about 
where did the salmon come from? Where did the black cod come from? You know, was it caught in the right season? Was it caught, you know, by Indians or by sport fishermen or by commercially licensed, licensed fishermen? Was it caught troll line or gill netted? Was it bled off the boat and then iced on the belly? Was it taken to port the same day, or is it sitting out there on the water for three days? You know, that's, that's what we generally consider sustainability, is knowing that about our food supply. Uh, to me, sustainability is paying people well, offering an option at health care, trying to forge a 401k plan, uh, trying to get somebody home when their mother passes away in Mexico and they can't afford a plane ticket. You know, sustainability is about so much more than where that sam- salmon came from. That's and true. if that's all you're doing is finding the best salmon and you're treating everybody else like crap or not treating them as well as you could be, then I think that you're missing the point and you're missing what being a chef is all about. So, uh, What kind of... Um longevity do you have with your your staff turnover i mean do you have how many people work for you right now uh nobody works for me they all work for themselves we Mm -hmm. are co-workers in this in this amalgamation that is tom douglas seattle kitchen and um and i really mean that in i'm not being like some altruistic kind of person i really i i don't set their alarm clock I don't write their rent check. Right. They do that. They get up every day. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that we try to do most is get up and show up. Mm -hmm. And when you're with us, you are with us. Right. And uh, uh, it's just, yeah, I think of them as my coworkers. We have 1,000 coworkers, 120 managers in that group. Um, And knock on wood, I haven't lost a general manager in 12 years. Um, I haven't lost a chef in 15 years. That is amazing. Um, they they do move them around. We move around like, uh, you know, merry-go-round merry a little bit because it keeps them interested. Yes. Um, and then uh, I, I, 15 years is wrong. It's probably more like 10 years, 11 years, uh, because the last two chefs I lost, I, I funded them in their own restaurants. So, um, and both have paid off, which is nice. That's, that's fantastic. Do you have any desire to move outside of Seattle? You know, I only had one kid. She just graduated law school. As a matter of fact, the 7th of June is her graduation date. Congratulations. And I'm so happy because she no more tuition. Yes. Uh, the 15th of July, she takes the bar. Oh. And the 1st of August, she's cut off. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of law does she want to practice? Uh, I don't know yet. Oh. You know, right now it's uh, international um, human rights, but I think that's oh, everyone's that's nice, dream, right? Yeah, it's like, right. It's like hoping for world peace at a beauty pageant. That's right. Yeah. But um, I think that if I had a guess, she'll end up in hospitality law somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. So um, I know you've said that you wanted to always stay close to her, so you did. So, so now she's now she's leaving me, right? So um, I, I have just talked with somebody recently about a restaurant um, up on Fifty Seventh Avenue. Here in Manhattan? Oh, really? I Boy, I, we would welcome you with well, open you. arms. That's everything New York needs is another restaurant. Oh, my God. But, but we need a Tom Douglas. I would say the chances of it happening are about 5%. Oh. Uh, I also, you know, I'm on the chef team with Macy's. Yes. So that's an interesting possibility. Um, I'm a chef for Alaska Airlines. Oh. So uh, they want to do a, a restaurant in Seattle at the at the airport, and I'm thinking about uh, that. I think yeah. that would be super fun. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of things going on. That's great. Well, we're going to take another little break, and then we're going to come back.
Well, welcome back. You're listening to Chef's Story. I'm Dorothy Can Hamilton, and today my guest is Tom Douglas from Seattle. And uh, we're just kind of catching up on everything that he's doing. In between all of this time, you've written four cookbooks. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, how does someone do that? Open 13 restaurants, be on Macy's Culinary Council, be a consultant to Alaska Airlines, write four cookbooks. Do you sleep? I do sleep. Uh, you know, we have people for everything, right? Uh, we all, a lot of my, like one of my oldest co-workers, her name is Shelly. She's my co-author on the book. She's also quality control for like, when I'm in New York right now, I'll get an email every day of which restaurant she ate in, which service, uh, anything that needs particular attention or just, I mean, almost always they're just straight across the board uh, tens. Uh, we have a little system. If it's an eight, that it comes off the menu that day. If it's a nine, we'll work on it. But if it's a 10, good to go. Uh, so uh, she she does that. So we we have we try to keep all those pieces in place. So you didn't tell me. I think the number of people that co work with you a thousand, a thousand, depending on the season. Yeah. So you were we were I think in part of that uh, interview that didn't make it to the recorder. Uh, we talked about your mother's disappointment that you didn't graduate college or you I didn't know. go to college, yeah. and here you have a thousand people working for you. I take with it you me. didn't go to with you, and and. You didn't go to business school. I didn't. No. So how did you, just as you kind of learned to cook and create your style, how did you learn to manage and create your style? Well, I think if there's an innate thing, that's what I have. You know, I'm a worker bee. That's that's just there. I don't know mm-hmm. where that came from, mm-hmm. but that's just who I am. So I get up and show up every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the business side of things, don't know where that came from. I was crappy at math and um, still probably am and still don't care much about it other than did we make money or did we not it's money in and money out uh yeah but if there's too much that goes out you go out of business so i'm always concerned about that i do have some responsibility i have a wife and a daughter and a house and a farm and in-laws that i'm taking care of and you know so i do have to make sure there's money there yeah uh but um i don't know where that came from but I, i i enjoy it and i think any chef who thinks he can just be an artist and not understand the business side of things mm-hmm. is not going to be an artist very long right uh, right he's going to be an artist for either for somebody else or which is fine I, I work just as hard for somebody else as i work for myself maybe harder right. uh, but uh, uh there's just something about it and also there's an innate thing in me i don't like to be in debt so i pay cash for everything uh, that's why i don't work with banks and i don't uh, owe anybody any money and that's a good. Thing. I think from your early years, you learned the value. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we're going to do seventy million dollars in business this year. That's not a bad little chunk of that's change. Ex- that's extraordinary. Uh, yeah. That's fantastic. So, um, I think we were talking before about uh, the five percent rule. That uh, I, I read where you had thirteen restaurants because just like chain restaurants. One location can be doing poorly, but it doesn't bring the whole mm-hmm. company down. And so if you only had one restaurant and, you know, you had a hurricane on the West Coast and it lost money, it could wipe you out. But by having 13, it's, it's, it's a sense of security. Well, there's a little bit of that. There's also, I'm pretty diversified. I have a product line of rubs and sauces that I sell around the country in 5,000 retail locations. Uh, and so that's a different business. I have a concessionaire business at theaters in Seattle. Uh, that does almost $5 million a year in business, uh, so that's awesome. Uh, I have a catering company of 150 that does events every night, right? We have a cooking school. 
that does events, uh, cooking school every night. Uh, so we are diversified in the nature of our business. And that's why I say I have 24 different food businesses. Yes. I have my consulting gigs. Um, so, yeah. No, wait, wait, wait. And I've got to remind you, all of our businesses, all of them are within 10 blocks in downtown Seattle. Every one of the <sighs> restaurant, food operations, everything. You make this sound so I have a grocery easy. Store. Wait, you make this sound so easy. So what about... Just the legal aspects of all that. You're 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 five thousand. You're in five thousand locations with your product. I mean, how how hard was it to come up with a product, get all the uh, permitting and the uh, licensing, yeah. and you know who thought that through for you? Uh, nobody. I, I mean, we do that, so it's not that hard. It's not that hard. No. We go through the Costco audit because Costco sells our product, so we go through the Costco audit on our facilities. On, and so uh, we are clean as a whistle. That's the toughest audit, audit in the industry. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, last year my legal bills, I don't know, they, they weren't even $10,000. Wow. I, don't, I, don't, I try to be a good person, you know. Uh, well, no, I, don't, I just don't mean with that. But to get into all these different businesses, maybe I've been in New York too long. But you need to have contracts. and You have leases. You know, I know how to read a lease. Uh, I know what to look for. Um, I know how to do a food cost. You know, I, I, I try to be good to our people so that we don't get, you know, we have a great HR, HR department uh-huh. that is um, seven people strong. Do you read magazines, business magazines? I don't. Do you read books? I read menus. You read menus. Do you read? I don't read books. I listen to books once in a while, but books on when tape? I drive to the farm. But uh, uh-huh. Can you recommend one? Sure. Harry Potter. Jim Dale reads it. Awesome. <laughs> Good. Uh, tell me about the farm. Are you one of these chefs that just loves your farm and you're no. out there all the time? No. Are you a farmer? No. So I've been there you, twice this year. Why do you, why do you have it? Because my wife loves it. Oh, well, And that's my in-laws nice needed a place to live. So where do you live? You must live in Seattle. I live in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. But you go out to the farm. No, I don't go to the farm. Jackie, my wife, goes to the farm. Matter of fact, she's flying in today from the farm. From the farm. So how far is the farm from Seattle? Two and a half hours. Oh, that's a good distance. South? I go on conjugal visits. That's when I go to the farm. (laughs) (laughs) So um, what is it when you hire somebody? uh, For an, I I would imagine you don't hire entry-level people. You don't. I, I personally don't do the hiring. So, but you must have at one time. Oh yeah. What did you look for in a person? Oh, well, what my old thing uh, I, I can't use anymore since I got an HR department. It's like my first question on my uh, my thing was, if you wanted to get laid tonight, what would you make for dinner? <laughs> and so, <laughs> you, I hope you asked both sexes. I that. did, <laughs> and then it, and then it went from there into who's your favorite actor and actress, and because I wanted to make sure I had something in common with people. Uh-huh. Uh And I want you know if you if if you're making fettuccine alfredo to get lucky tonight, then you're not my kind of person. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. What was your favorite answer? Oh, sweet pea ravioli yeah. or mushu duck or you know uh, things like that that right. are more hand. Yeah. Handmade. So um, it's it's almost, I you know, I'm I'm getting the sense of you that the the business is intriguing, food is absolutely intriguing, and wine and and lovely, but it's your soul is so much beyond that. It's 
it's almost like you're connected with the universe in some way. <laughs> no, really. Well, that you're taking, you're with... enjoying every every aspect of it, and you're respecting every aspect of it. You know, of, yeah, of I mean, before, people. When you, when you called me a chef before, and I, I am just, I'm much more than that. You know, and, and I want to be defined by being a chef. And, mm. and the, you know, people think of chefs, they think of Gordon Ramsay or Charlie Trotter. Let's or hope, well, they Charlie think of a, a lot of different people that they may or may not like. And um, I, I am much more than that. I'm a community member. Um, as I, you know, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a f- uh, farm owner. I'm a, um, a board member for five different organizations, including one right here in Seattle, Beecher's Cheese. Uh, the Food Lifeline, uh, you know, we give a million, just gave a million dollars to Food Lifeline uh, to help build our new warehouse. I mean, we are active community members. If you, part of our mission statement is that we want to be pillars in the community. We don't want to just scrape the cream off the top. We want to be the foundation of our community. And that's the way I feel about my coworkers. That's the way I feel about my family. And that's just the way I feel. And Tom, I want to be you. Uh, so many people, including myself, you know, it's it's just so hard to run one restaurant, you know, for a lot of people, mm-hmm. or to run one life, <laughs> you know, and to, that's all I'm to see. And you're not. I mean, you're so humble. You really are. But that's and all you're, I'm running. You're just so down to earth. But you're you're yes. But you have. You're like the biggest octopus I've ever met, with with so many tentacles out I think there. She just called me fat. No. no. Uh, here's the thing. I don't want to wash dishes. So if I, can't, if I don't have an awesome dishwasher, I can't open for business. If he doesn't have a good owner, he doesn't want to work for me or be in that business. Mm. We all have our jobs to do on mm. this earth, mm. right? And I talk about this in my Food Lifeline commitment, which is I get paid to feed people. Luckily, you walk in my front door and you can, affa- you know, you can afford it, but it doesn't let me off the hook for the millions of people that can't afford a meal today, a nutritious meal. So that's part of our jobs. But we all have our jobs. You run this school, right? How do you, you just said you turn out 500 to 700 cooks every year, you know, uh, culinary professionals. How do you do it? Well, you don't. You don't do it, but you have a job here. And I have a job in my world, too. Hmm. And it's just as simple. Now, would I like to be president of the United States? Absolutely. I was, I was just going there. Can <laughs> I want to be the president. We, yeah. So what would you do? What would, what would you do if you were president? Well, first thing it's, I would first do is of all, let me say healthcare. it's 2016, May, June 1st of 2016. So we have a hot and heavy presidential election happening uh, or race right now. So right now, given the state I of just things, just cooked for Hillary. You just cooked for good, good. She's my girl. <laughs> um, uh, she, what what would you do right now with the state of the world? Because if you can manage 13 restaurants and everything else that's going on in your life, I really care about your answer. Well, here's the thing. I don't think that Barack has any bigger issues. I mean, I shouldn't say that's the wrong word. He has plenty of bigger issues, but he has no more issues than we kind of do in our daily world. Because when I get up in the morning, I've got you know my list of things. And his issues are much more gigantic, right, mm-hmm. as far right. as how they affect more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you only have so much time in a day, so you just make the decisions that you have to make. And that's how I look at it. So I'd love to be president. Um, I think the uh, first thing I would do is na- uh, national health care. That's absolutely my number one uh, goal is that if, if you own a boat, then get your own goddamn boat insurance. If you even own a house, get your own house insurance. But your life, I want to be there for you, and I want you there for me. We should be able to take care of each other as a community and as a country. And that's the first thing I would push through is national health care. 
Well, we're not going to get into how do you pay for it, but um, well, but from a moral, we seem to be able to pay for all these wars that we're in. Uh, we seem to be able to figure out how to how to. Well, let's. Yeah, no, right. no, we we're not going to. No, and and it's a complicated. I totally agree with you on a, on uh, the morality of. Uh, we just can't, as a rich country, um, have such negligence but well, let's say, we're not going let's do this first this we spend more on healthcare than anybody else in the world, world and we have some of the like worst 28 yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in value so. right right um, somewhere that equation needs to change right so let's talk um about a few of the more charitable things that you're involved with and you, you were, we were talking before about school food and that you're involved with the Seattle uh, School District. What are you doing? What are you doing there? And do you think it's replicable around the country? We were involved. I'll say this: uh, Eric, who's got um, youngsters still, uh, my uh, Your my partner. partner yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he took the lead on this because of that. He had kids in the school system, and we just ran into roadblock after roadblock uh, with the unions that run the cafeterias. And uh, so we ended up getting booted out of that program. Uh, we've just had a feeler from them again wanting to restart the program, so we're, we'll jump in whenever they're ready. Uh, as far as charitable things go, we do a charitable event every day of the week, every night of the year. Uh, it is part of being part of your community. And I'm in New York right now for the Eat Red campaign, oh, which is on. an AIDS benefit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that we're doing Thursday night with uh, Mario Batali and Tony Bourdain. Looking forward to that. Um, here talking to you, but you know, charitable things are as good for your soul as they are for the people you're doing them for. So I look at it as part of a balance, a balancing act for me. You know, I'm out there trying to make money and you know putting butts in seats and doing the work that I need to do as far as my job, and this gives me some balance into what I do as far as being a, a person on this earth. So. Mm. Um, we're getting to the end of this interview and as i said to you before we started a lot of the people that listen to this uh these interviews are young cooks out there working in kitchens uh do you have uh three pieces of advice for them on how to be true a truly good cook well as i've probably said throughout this interview that to me just being a cook isn't enough you have to have a certain care for your environment and for your coworkers, and so I think uh, being a good leader, uh, along with being a good cook, um, uh, as I said, also getting up and showing up—that's uh, those two go together. Uh, don't blame the world for your problems. Get up and show up and make it happen every day. Bring everything you got every day, uh, and that's something that uh, you know we teach a line cook school at our cooking school, and uh, that's one of the things we emphasize the most. Uh, and then I would say if you get into business, don't be myopic. Don't have tunnel vision. You know, see the bigger picture of the world and the people around you. And um, I think you'll be more successful than if you are just the chef artist. You know, this is my food. This is my craft. Screw you if you don't like it. Well, you know who gets screwed in that? You and the people that you don't pay your bills to because you went out of business, right? So right. Be, be more thorough in your vision. Uh, and, and to me, that's um, that's kind of in life. Right? I mean, that's what life's all about is, is not missing it. A couple of last questions. Um, give me, it doesn't have to be the ultimate person, but who in history do you admire? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a realist. 
and I'm also a recent history buff. So um, I really admire the job that Barack Obama has done. Uh, I've cooked for him many times. I've seen um, him somehow or another keep his dignity when a bunch of old white jerks refused to give him the respect that he has earned. And uh, he's kept his dignity about about his race and about his family, about the job he has to do. Um, I just think he's a he's an amazing guy. And the other thing I think about Barack is that we have yet to see the best of what's to come. Because now that he can become the orator that I think he has in in his soul, I think it's going to be an amazing uh, twenty thirty years now of post presidency that uh, I could look forward to. I, I hope so. Anyway, I think he's very inspirational. Okay, last question. Okay. If you could come back in another lifetime and you couldn't be Tom Douglas, who would you be? Or what would you be? What would I be? Can I be human or not? It's up to you. Oh. Well, I'd probably be a big fat crab or a big fat salmon <laughs> on, the, on the supper table and give back because I've eaten a lot of them. So, uh, yeah, that to me is... Uh, when I when I die, I've got it in my will. I want to be wrapped in gauze and dumped at sea off the plank down oh. to the crabs below to Good. give a little something back, you know, a little meaty, meaty uh, back to those crabs. So I'll come back as a big fat crab. Well, I hope I'm at that feast. <laughs> It'll <laughs> Thanks, be quite Tom. a feast. <laughs> Thanks, Tom, for Thank coming you. today. And a big shout out to my producer, Robin Cohen. Thank you. And see you next time. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.